All right, guys. All right. We are, um, man, we're going to have a good time here uh, this morning. Would you pray with me? Just pray with me. Father, I just pray for this time right here, God. I pray you grip our hearts. God, that we would raise our expectations for what might be about to happen. Father, when we come into your presence, there are no small things that occur. God, big things happen when you're around. God, nothing normal happens when we're in your presence. And so, God, would you wake our hearts up? Would you wake our minds up? Raise our expectations for what you would want to do in this room over the next few minutes. Father, that's what we're praying today. In Jesus' name, everybody say it, amen. Everybody say it, amen. All right, hey, it's 4th of July. Who has blown something up already? Raise your hand if you've blown something up. Raise your hand. Just a few people. How many of you are going to blow something up? Raise your hand. How many of you have watched someone blow something up? Raise your hand. There we go. My kids and I, we were out on the uh, front porch last night. We were watching our neighbors uh, blow something up. We assume they were fireworks. The jury is still out. We don't know. Uh, But it was entertaining nonetheless. And um, so so, so, uh, it's 4th of July, and so that's what we do as Americans, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's America. And so what we do, we blow something up. And we blow something up. We, 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 eat, we eat. We put a dead animal on the grill. We eat that bad boy, right? Amen. We grill out, right? We eat food and we blow stuff up. That's what it means. Fourth of July, we're celebrating our freedom, man. It's, it's an awesome time. And I don't know if you knew this. This Fourth of July is kind of unique. Um, I don't know if you knew this or not. But we are, I don't know if you knew that there's a big election coming up later this year. Did you know that? I don't know if you knew. Um, Of course you knew that. I mean, my gosh, you can't get away from it, can you? You can't get away from the election, the presidential election. And here's what's happening right now. Right now, I mean, all over the news, everywhere, you've got candidates who are telling us what our country needs. And, and here's what I bet, I bet, and I bet this would be really entertaining to be honest. I bet if we took a microphone and we went around and we asked every one of you today, hey, what do you think our, our country needs right now? I bet the answers would be really interesting, right? And I bet, I bet they would be all over the map. Few people would agree. What does America need right now? But have you ever wondered, I wonder what God thinks America needs right now. I mean, yeah, we know what the candidates are saying, and yeah, I've got my opinion, but does God have an opinion? I wonder what God thinks America needs right now. Well, here's what we're going to do today. We're going to answer that question. We're going to answer that question in the series that we're in. We're in a series called Hashtag My Mission, and we've been in the book of Nehemiah. So if you've got a, a, a Bible on your phone, you can go ahead and open it up. Scroll to the book of Nehemiah. If you've got a copy of the Word of God with you, you can go ahead and open up to the book of Nehemiah. And what's going to happen is, is we're going to see the answer to that question. What does God think, what does God think that America needs right now? What does America need? From God's perspective, in 2016, we're going to see the answer to that question from a book written between 454 to 432 B.C. We're going to see the answer to what does God think America needs in 2016 from a book written centuries ago. Okay, and so let me just fill us in on on where we've been in the book of Nehemiah over the past couple of weeks. Nehemiah was a guy working for the king, and then God wakes up Nehemiah's heart and gives him a vision to go back to the city of Jerusalem and rebuild the walls that surrounded Jerusalem. And the reason that the walls 
being rebuilt was a big deal, it's because the walls were torn down when Babylon and other countries invaded. While the walls were torn down, Jerusalem was open to all kinds of attacks. Not only did they look weak, God did too. And so God gives Nehemiah this vision to go back in and rebuild the walls. Nehemiah goes to Jerusalem, casts this vision, and everyone in Jerusalem jumps on board, and walls that have been torn down for decades are rebuilt in 52 days. And so the walls around Jerusalem are rebuilt. And now it's time to rebuild their relationship with God. Now it's time to rebuild their relationship with God. And so a new character from our vantage point, since we've just been in the book of Nehemiah, comes on the scene, and his name is Ezra. Now if you're familiar with the Bible, you know that right in front of the book of Nehemiah is a book called Ezra. And that's the same guy. Ezra is a priest, he's a, he's a pastor, and Ezra is going to come on the scene, and we're going to see God do something in Jerusalem that America desperately needs God to do today. So we're going to be in Nehemiah 8 through 10, but we're not going to read all three of those chapters because we would be here for a pretty significant amount of time. So I'm going to have us read, I'm going to have us read some sections of those three chapters just so that you and I can get a glimpse of what's happening, all right? So if you've got a Bible, I want you to look Nehemiah chapter 8, starting in verse 1. All this stuff's going to be on the screen right here behind me. Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 1, and I'll kind of fill in the details. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. And so all of Jerusalem gathers to a central spot in Jerusalem, and they ask Ezra, the pastor, the priest, to bring what they call the law of Moses. That would have been the first five books of the Bible. So Ezra, this preacher, is about to stand up, and he's going to preach the word of God. He's going to read it, and he's going to explain how it applies to the people, just like what we're doing right here. Verse 2, so Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard, on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it, facing the square before the water gate, watch this, watch this, from early morning until midday, in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand, and the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. So Ezra begins to preach. And man, they have this really long, drawn-out worship service. Nobody is thinking about going to Francis's diner or Circle T, right? I mean, they are tuned in. They are dialed in. And what starts to happen is as Ezra is preaching the Bible, the people in the audience, God begins to move in the people of Jerusalem, and they begin to realize, oh my goodness, we have wandered away from God. The reason that we got captured and Babylon invaded it and they tore down the walls. It's because we sinned. We worshiped other stuff. We walked away from God. And, and, and it, was so, it was such a powerful time. God started to move in the people. Look at verse 9 of chapter 8. Again, I believe all this is going to be on the screen. And Nehemiah was the governor, and Ezra the priest, and the scribe, and the Levites, who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Don't mourn or weep, for all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Man, when they realized how far they had gotten from God, it broke their heart. They were convicted over their sin. And so chapter 9 of Nehemiah, chapter 9, verse 1, Now on the 24th day of this month, the people of Israel were assembled with fasting and in sackcloth and with earth on their heads. And the Israelites separated themselves from all the foreigners and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. They stood up in their place and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day. For another quarter of it, they made confession and worshipped the Lord their God. 
They said, wait a second, we've sinned, we've walked away from God. And so, so when the Bible says that, that they put earth on their heads, that's a sign of repentance. These people are convicted over their sin. So they are all on their knees before God, asking God, God, please forgive us. We did this, we messed up, we sinned. There's no excuse, God, we walked away. So there's, they, they repented. They asked God to forgive them for their sin. And then, watch this. Man, this is so huge. What happens next? Chapter 10. Chapter 10. Chapter 10, starting in verse 30. Watch this. I'm going to read this, and then I'll come back and explain what's happening. We will not give our daughters to the people of the land or take their daughters for our sons. And if the people of the land bring in goods or any grain on the Sabbath day to sell, we won't buy from them on the Sabbath or on any holy day. And we will forego the crops of the seventh year and the exaction of every debt. We also take on ourselves the obligation to give yearly a third part of a shekel for the service of the house of our God, for the showbread, the regular grain offering, the regular burnt offering, the Sabbaths, the new moons, the appointed feasts, the holy things, and the sin offerings to make atonement for Israel and for all the work of the house of our God. See, they asked God to forgive them for their, for their sins and then they said this, guys, some things have got to change. If, if this is what God says, then we need to do what God says. So they had been breaking the Sabbath and they said, we're going to start to keep the Sabbath. They hadn't been tithing and they said, we're going to begin to tithe. Whatever God says, their, heart, their, their attitude was now, whatever God says, we're going to do. And see what happens in Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 10. God sent what Jerusalem needed more than anything. God sent revival. Now, what is revival? I mean, you've probably heard that word before, right? That's not a new word that, may, uh, that you've probably never heard before, but maybe there's some confusion as to what it is. What is revival? Because a lot of us, when we hear that word, don't we think that revival is when a church calls in another preacher that's probably a little bit better than the regular guy? And they bring in some singing that's a little bit better than the people who try to sing, try to sing, every, you know what I'm saying, right? So, and, and, and they put it on the calendar. It's about four days long. Join us for revival. Now, listen, 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 listen. There's nothing wrong with that, honestly. There's nothing wrong with that. Now, now we, we've never done that here. There's nothing at all wrong with the church putting some on the calendar. We're going to bring in something, a big time of revival, putting on the calendar a revival. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm not talking about that today. I am talking about a true revival from God. What is revival? Look at these quotes here. These are some definitions of revival. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this, The essence of a revival is that the Holy Spirit comes down upon a number of people together. Watch this. Upon a whole church, upon a number of churches, districts, or perhaps, watch, a whole country. That's what's meant by revival. I love this next quote by a guy named Stephen Olford. Watch this. Revival is not some emotion or worked up excitement. It is rather an invasion from heaven, which brings to man a conscious awareness of God. See, see, the kind of revival that I'm talking about and that we just saw in Nehemiah 8 through 10 is when God invades our lives, when God unexpectedly from our vantage point invades our church, invades our city, invades our world, when God sends a revival, and it's the kind of revival that in its wake, nothing is the same after it. I mean, it's the kind of revival that changes cities and nations and states. Listen, that's happened before. Did you know this? Yeah, I'm sure maybe in, maybe in school, you talked about an event called the First Great Awakening. You've heard of this, right? A guy named Jonathan Edwards. If you've never heard of it, Google it, all right? 
The, the first great awakening changed cities, changed states. Many would say changed the direction for many years of the nation. Look that up, the first great awakening. The second great awakening, a massive, sudden, God-sent revival. Maybe you've heard the name Charles Finney associated with that. I'm talking about a God-sent revival that changes a people, changes a city, changes a world. And what America needs more than anything is a real God-sent revival. That's what America needs. So if, you're, so if you're into sermon titles, okay, the sermon title today is Make America Great Again. I did not get permission to use that title. But if you want to make America great again, then America needs a true God-sent revival. That's how you make America great again. And see, when we hear that, we, we agree with that because we look at America, we look at the culture, and we say, America needs revival. America needs to change. America needs God. Don't we say that? And listen, that is absolutely true. That is absolutely true. But here's something you need to know about revival, and you might want to write this down so that you'll never forget it. When God sends revival, revival always starts with the church. Always. People say all the time, God's going to judge America if America doesn't repent. God's going to judge America if they don't turn back to God. Listen, in the Bible, judgment begins with the house of God. Not with the other people who, don't, who are not God's people. It begins with God's people. So listen, America does need revival, but the church needs revival too. And when I say church, I mean this one and everyone. I'm talking the big C church, us included. America needs to change, and the church needs to change too. America needs God, and the church needs God too. So what I want to do over the next couple of minutes, I want to turn our eyes off of culture, and I want us to look in the mirror because I am calling us today to say we need revival. We do. So how do you know if you need revival? How, how do you know as you're sitting there, how do you know, maybe you already know as we're talking about this, and you're thinking, man, this, this, this just seems like water in a, in, a, in a desert, man, to me. I am drinking this in. I need revival. But maybe you're not. Maybe you're questioning, how do you know whether or not you need revival? I'm going to ask a series of questions. Don't do anything uh, out loud. Just answer these to yourselves, all right? If you're t- taking notes on the app, these are in there. But I want you to work through these. Ask these about no one but you. Ask these to yourself, all right? How can I know if I need revival? You need revival when God becomes routine. When God becomes routine, we need revival. We show up at church, we know the language, we know the songs, we can talk a good game, but that's all we do. We used to be passionate for God, but now we're passionate about the lake. Now we're passionate about the game. Now we're passionate about something else. When God becomes routine, we need revival. Here's another one. We need revival when I'm comfortable or making excuses for my sin. When I'm comfortable with my sin, when I'm making excuses for my sin, I need revival. Hey, well, everybody does this. It's okay. Hey, we're adults. Hey, we're in love. Hey, it's not hurting anybody. What's wrong with it? Yeah, I know what God says. Yeah, I know what the Bible might say. But you know what? Yeah, we'll, we'll fix that later on. But we're good right now. Listen, when we, get that, when we get to that place, we need revival. When I am comfortable with my sin... I need revival. Here's another one. When the Bible doesn't have a place in my life, I need revival. And when we talk about the Bible having a place in our lives, I don't mean that you own one. Well, the Bible has a place in my life. I own one. It props up the coffee table. Legs kind of short on that one side. It's not what I mean. 
When, when I say the Bible has a place in my life, it means that, that when I read this, this book convicts me, this book can change me. Listen, the Bible having a place in your life means more than you hear a sermon and you have a, a bigger response than, that's good. You know what else is good? Pizza. Pizza's, in fact, in fact, that's not right. Pizza is awesome, right? If you come to church every week, man, that was a good sermon, and you don't intend to do anything about it, you need revival. Here's another one. I don't care about lost people. I need revival when I don't care about lost people. When, when what happens to people after they die does not bother me, I need God to bother me. Does that make sense? Here's this. I need revival when God isn't my hope. When money's my hope, when relationship is my hope, when job is my hope, when status, how popular I am is my hope and not God, I need revival. Here's the last one. Man, this couldn't be any clearer. I'm not praying. Talking about a relationship with God, you don't have a relationship with somebody you don't talk to, right? 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 Might be a contact on your phone, but you don't talk to them. Well, then you're not friends. You don't have a relationship. I'm not praying. How'd you do? I'll be honest, I hated writing this sermon. This is the worst sermon, because this sermon bothered me. See, I need revival. My biggest temptation is to do things for God and not fall more in love with God. You know the difference? My biggest temptation is to say, God, I got another sermon. God, we're doing this at church. God, we've got this, we've got this, we've got this. And I'm doing things for God, but I'm not growing closer to God. That is dangerous. That is dangerous to do things for God, but to not grow closer to God. Maybe you're sitting there and you're saying, Mark, I, I need revival. Man, I can't stand up here and give you a formula for revival, but what I can do is I can tell us some things that we can, so that we can put ourselves in position for revival. I, I want to give us some things this morning, three in fact, very quickly, so that you and I can put ourselves as individuals and as a church in a position for revival. So I think you need to write these down. I think this is a big deal what we're doing this morning, so you need to write these down so that we can position ourselves for revival. Here's the first one. First thing we can do is get hungry. Get hungry for what? Get hungry for the Word of God. See, the revival in the book of Nehemiah, it started when Ezra stood up and when he read the Bible. The, the revival started when the Word of God broke loose among the people and God started to change people with His Word. We should be hungry for the Bible. Because why? God wrote this book. I can know God through this book. God can use this book to change my life. I need to be hungry for the Word of God. That's what 1 Peter says, 1 Peter 1, 25, 22. The word of the Lord remains forever. So because this book lasts forever, watch. Like newborn babies, you must crave pure spiritual milk so that you will grow into a full experience of salvation. I remember we had kids. I remember we had kids and, and, uh, and we were told, all right, now listen, you've got to feed these bad boys like crazy. That's, what, that's not really what the doctor said, but that's the Mark Holmes version. And so we were getting, you know, you get up all hours of the night and give your, give, your ba- give your kids bottles and things like that. You know, like, I don't know, like every three hours, things like that. My kids, now they're, now they're older, 11, 9, and 5. My kids went from every three hours to every three minutes. And um, it just seems like they're hungry all the time. Maybe I'm talking about this and you're thinking, hungry for the Word of God? I've never heard of such a thing. Hey, do you know why some of us aren't hungry for the Word of God? Because we're stuffed with other things. We're stuffed. We've got no room 
Some of us are stuffed with the world. Some of us are stuffed with sin. Some of us are stuffed with, I'm too concerned with how I look for, in front of you, not how I look in front of God. But what would happen if we just went to the Bible, if we grabbed this book and said, God, I want to be hungry for you. God, I want to know you. God, I'm not going to fight you and make excuses about things in my life. Whatever you want to talk to me me about that's in my life from this book, I'm going to give you permission because I am hungry for you. What would happen if a church was hungry for the word of God? I'll tell you what would happen. We would be in a position for revival. Be in a position for revival. Here's this, number two. Second way to put yourself in a position for, the, for revival is to get serious. Get serious about what? Sin. Get serious about sin. So Ezra read, read the Bible, and they said, you know what? We walked away from God. Nobody else made us do it. We did it. We sinned. For too long, the church has been really good about pointing out the world's sins, but not our own sin, right? Oh, did you hear the silence? Because we have sin. The church has sin. Oh, I love the tension in the room. Some of you, right? We're really good. Oh, I can't believe the world's doing this. I can't believe the decisions that Obama's making now. I can't believe the decisions that the church is making. When we are more excited and fired up and passionate about things that will not matter 100 years from now, but this book will be here 100 years from now, we've got a problem. We've got a problem. Man, I was listening to a podcast the other day with this preacher I listened to in Florida. He said something really funny that just stuck with me. He said, isn't it funny how other people have sins, but we have struggles? Isn't it? Brother, you've got that sin in your life you need to repent of. Me, man, I just struggle with that. Just struggle. Just struggle. My family struggled with it. My husband does. My wife does. My kids do. We've all, I just struggle. Pray for me, brother. That's what we do, right? No, no, no. We have sin. There is sin in the church. We need to repent of the sin of being judgmental. We look at people that struggle with addiction or are in a position that we're not in. And we judge them and we think we're better than them. We don't realize every opportunity we have is a good gift from our good Father. It's all grace. And we need to repent of being materialistic and greedy. Here's what every person just did in the room. Every person in the room just did this. Well, I'm not greedy. Praise God the greedy people didn't come. Have you ever noticed that? Other people are greedy. We ain't. Right? Praise the Lord, brother. I'm just trying to be a good steward. I'm just trying to save up for a rainy day. Some of you have saved up for the zombie apocalypse. I could go on forever. We'll take our sin seriously when we see what our sin did to Jesus. I tried to think, man. I was trying to think. How could I show you that? So I want to show you something that you've probably seen before. And I'll be honest with you. It's pretty brutal, but I wanted it to be brutal. Okay? So I want you to check this out. Turn down the lights. Turn it up. Watch this. Well, I, uh, hello. How the come? 
See, I did that. I did that. So did you. Our sin did that to God. We'll take sin seriously. Listen, if, if that offended you, if that offended you, you're like, I can't believe that's so brutal. I can't believe you showed that in church. There's kids in the room. can't believe you're offended. You need to know if we would have been there. Listen, you can't even put on screen what really happened to people who are crucified. You can't. What really happened is nothing compared. That, that doesn't even compare to what, we, what really happened but we did that. We get serious about sin. We're in a position for revival. And here's the last one, number three. We put ourselves in position for revival and we get desperate. 
we get desperate. The best way to show that you're desperate for God is to humble yourself and to get on your knees and pray. I don't know if you've been keeping score. Read through the book of Nehemiah sometime. Read through the book of Nehemiah and keep track of how many times the word prayer is mentioned or somebody stops and prays, people pray. Prayer is a big deal in the book of Nehemiah, and here's why. Because prayer is rebellion of the status quo. Say, Mark, I used to be so passionate about God and reaching my friends for Jesus, and now I'm not. I just feel like I'm dying inside and going through the motions. Listen, there might be a lot of things with that, but I bet, I bet one of the things that went is prayer. I bet. I, I bet prayer is one of the things that you've lost. And so, so to get desperate for God on our knees and to humble ourselves and to say, to say God, I am desperate for you to wake me up. I am hungry for you to send revival to my school. God, I am desperate for you to save my loved ones. God, I am getting on my knees. I am humbling myself in front of you. I am begging for revival. I think the scariest place you could be today is to hear all of this and not care. I think it's the scariest place to be. To, to hear it all, to see what America needs, to see what we need, and to not care. And here's what we're going to do today. Today we're going to do something really different. So if, you're, if, if this is your first time, if it's your first time today, uh, we never do this. We never do this. But today I wanted, to, I wanted us to do something different, and here's why. It's because desperate times call for desperate measures. And so normally at this time, we always have them turn the lights down and things like that. I asked them, don't touch the lights. I want the lights left up today. Because desperate times call for desperate measures. And if God, here, here's the good news. The good news is this. The good news is that this weekend we celebrate our freedom as Americans. And in Christ, we are absolutely 100% free. We are totally free in Jesus. In fact, in fact, we are so free in Christ that if you are sitting there and you are saying, man, I have so walked away from God, you are so free that God knows that, loves you anyway, you are free to say it to him, and today you can enter back into a rich relationship with him. You are so free in Christ that if you're sitting there, man, I'm not hungry at all, God, it feels like I'm stuffed with other things. You are so free to tell that to your heavenly father, and he is not going to look back at you and, and push you away. Instead, he's going to draw you near. You are so free to go to God and say, God, I need revival. And God says, I can send it. So would you bow your heads and close your eyes this morning? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? With every head bowed, with every eye closed. Again, the lights are on. But I, I believe that God is speaking to people today. I believe that God is speaking to people in this room right now. If you are here today, and you are, you are sitting there in that seat, and you are saying, Mark, I am not hungry. Mark, it feels like I am stuffed with so many other things than God. And Mark, I need revival. Put your hand up in the air right now. Put your hand up in the air right now, really high. Hands are going up all over the room. All, put your hand up. I'm not hungry at all for God, and I need it back. I want to be hungry for God. Put your hand up high. Hands are going up all over. Praise God. Put those hands down. That, that's a cry for revival. It's a cry for God to wake us up. How many of you are here? 
Say, Mark, I need to get serious about my sin. There is sin in my, Mark, there is something in my life and I've been making excuses for it. I've been too comfortable with it for too long. And today I'm going to call it what it is. It is sin and I need Jesus to forgive me and cleanse me for it. Mark, I want to take sin seriously. If that's you right now, raise your hand up high. Raise your hands are going up right here, right here, over here, over there in the back, right here on this side to my right, all the way there in the back, over here to my left, several hands. Hands are going, I want to take sin seriously. No more excuses, no more playing games. If that's you, put your hand up. All over, all over, all over. God bless you. Put your hand down. If you say, Mark, I'm not desperate. I'm not crying out to God. I'm not seeking him in prayer. Mark, I need revival. I want it. Raise your hand right now if that's you. Hands are going up. More hands. More hands. Right now, put your hands down. How many of you today are here and you are not a Christian? And today you need Jesus Christ to save you. You want to give your life to Jesus Christ and begin a relationship with him. I want to tell you today that God loves you and that Jesus Christ died, did that thing that we saw on the cross, came back to life three days later. So today, in 2016, he could set you free. And the only thing it takes is for you to go to him, ask him to forgive you for your sin, and he will save you and forgive you for all of eternity right now. If today you want to give your life to Jesus Christ, I'm going to pray a prayer, and I just invite you to pray this with me. If you want to be a part of the family of God and be saved today and know that you're going to be with Jesus for all of eternity, pray this prayer with me. Say, Dear Lord Jesus, Forgive me for my sin. Come into my life and save me. I give my life to you for the very first time today. Help me to live for you from this moment forward. Thank you for loving me. In your name. Amen, amen. No one is looking around. No one is moving. If you just prayed to give your life to Jesus Christ, if that's you today, today you want to be saved, would you just put your hand up high in the air to say, Mark, I just prayed that prayer and today I'm giving my life to Jesus. For the very first time. If that's you today, just raise your hand up high right now. Praise God. Here's what I want to do. Here's what I want to do today. I want us to humble ourselves before God and beg God for revival. For revival in our hearts, in our church, and in our city and world. And so, Ricky and Morgan are going to sing a song right now called Once, Once and For All. They sing it all the time. Just a song that declares, God, once and for all, strip down, break down, take away everything in my life that's not yours. God, we need revival. And here's what I'm going to ask you to do with the lights on. I'm going to ask every single person in this church that would be willing to, I'm going to ask you in just a moment to get up out of your seats, come up front, get on your knees before God and pray for revival for you and for this church and for the world. If you wouldn't do that, if you won't do that, then I invite you to stand up, turn around, and just get on your knees and make your seat an altar right there to God. Everybody doesn't have to do this, but I hope that most of you, I'm I'm inviting you to do this today. I'm urging our church, I'm calling our church to beg God for revival. So as they sing, you can come up front, get on your knees. We fill up these aisles. That'd be great. You can just t- turn around, make your seat an altar. But I want us, if you would be willing to, to get desperate, humble ourselves before God and say, God, we need, we want revival. Don't wonder how people are, how you're going to look in front of people. Oh, well, if I get on my knees in front of people, what will they think about me? No, that's one of the things that holds revival back. We are going to seek God here. 
So as Ricky and Morgan sing, I'm going to come down here up front, and I would love as many people as possible to come or you to get on your knees right there where you're at, where you're at and make your chair an altar. Let's get on our knees, church, and beg God for revival today. Let's come. You come on or you get on your knees right there at your chair. You don't have to come if you don't want to, but if God is moving in your heart, you come. You come. We're going to get on our knees and beg God today for revival. Let's pray.
God, that's our prayer today. Our prayer today is that we need revival. We need revival in in our lives. God, that we would not go through the motions, that we would not settle for status quo. God, that you would wake us up to your glory and your wonder. God, we need revival in our homes and our marriages. God, we need revival in our church, in our church, God, in churches. God, we need revival. We need to be desperate for you, a people hungry for you, longing for you to move in our in our hearts, in our church, God, in our world, our city, our country needs revival. God, send it and let it start with your people. Let it start with the church. Break our hearts for you, God, for you, for your glory, Jesus, that you would send revival and that more than anything else, we would be hungry for what you can do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Summer, let's give God praise for today. Listen, man, thank you guys so much for being here today. I hope you guys have a great 4th of July holiday. I, man, this was, this was a strong Sunday, man. I just believe that God just did some really great stuff here today. And keep praying for that. Don't, oh, we prayed for revival today. No, we want to pray for it all the time. We want to pray for it all the time. All right? Hey, if you're a first-time guest, man, we'd love to connect with you at our, at our welcome table and hook you up with a free gift. But right up here up front... Uh, is first step. I'll be down here. I'd love to meet you and talk to you for just a few moments today. Hey, I want to mention, before you leave, I want to mention a few things that you need to know, okay? Next weekend is a big weekend for our series, Hashtag My Mission. Next Saturday is our, is our My Mission Serve Day. It's from 9 to 11. We've, we're having a block party at Second Chance Mission, several other things. You can sign up for that. You can visit our welcome table. Let them know you want to be a part of it. You can sign up on our website, on our app. It's next, next Saturday, rather, just for two hours. Next Saturday from 9 to 11. Next Saturday from 9 to 11. It's just two hours to serve and to make a difference. Next Sunday, we're going to receive the My Mission offering. That My Mission offering is going to go to Come Alive, Corey and Jessica Heinzelman, and uh, Summit Whitesburg. So be praying about that this week. And also, next Sunday is the last day you can sign up and pay for Marriage Forward. All right? All right, guys. Hey, I love you guys. You guys are dismissed.